Welcome to Community Coded, the ultimate podcast series for founders, VCs, and builders who master the art of community building. This podcast is brought to you by Threado, a community management platform that lets you drive more engagement, identify brand champions, and scale a thriving community with automated workflows and personalized messages. We're so proud to say that we serve fast-growing community-led startups like Notion, Mixpanel, Triple Whale, and more. What are you waiting for? Hit threader.com and up your community game. Now, let's talk about this podcast. Join us as we dive deep into the world of community building with some of the biggest names in the industry. Let's decode what it takes to build a thriving community. What's up, everybody? This is Sharath. Uh, thanks for tuning again for the Community Decoded podcast. I have an exciting guest today in the pod. Uh, it was a, he, it, she was actually recommended by someone who's already on the pod, Ivan Hamilton from HubSpot. So she came on a on a personal note from Ivan, so which I'm which I'm very stoked to like talk about. Uh, Jenny Sawada, welcome to the show. How are you? How are you feeling today? I'm feeling great. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely, yeah. I'm I'm thrilled too as well because a couple of things. One is, I feel you have that operations background which i personally uh, lack in my like you know skill set and i want to unpack like you know how community builders can think from a operations standpoint and whatnot but before we dive into the episode let me give you guys like a brief intro of of jenny jenny went from this is so fascinating by the way jenny went from working as a community ma- moderator to community strategy and operations manager at HubSpot. And she's been with HubSpot for what, seven years so far? And that's that's pretty impressive. Uh, so you literally went from like, you know, like a junior position to where you are right now. So I'm, I'm, I wanna unpack that as well. Uh, but yeah, she believes in community content, you know, education driven uh, community strategies. And I think she's she's really like expert in in handling operations and expanding the community like to a global level. So I'm uh, very you know uh, stoked to talk to you, Jenny. But yeah, right off the bat. So I want to ask like the first question, obvious question is: You've been with HubSpot for seven years, and you went from being a moderator to community manager to senior community manager to leading community strategy and operations. So what was it, what was it like at being HubSpot for so long? Question number one. And how did you manage climb the ladder? Like what, what, were, what are some things you did that you want to share with us today? Yeah, it's, I mean, being at HubSpot so long and specifically in the community team has been a joy. Um, I don't think it's super common. So I feel very fortunate that I've been able to find a spot that's let me grow When I started, I joined HubSpot on their support team, just kind of on a whim. I was looking for a career change. I was in TV production before joining HubSpot. Hmm. And when I was on the support team, they were like, we're launching a community. We need folks from support to help moderate Mm -hmm. this space who have that support background. So I was like, yeah, why not? It was kind of the intersection of like a public voice mixed with that customer mindset. And I was like, that's something that I'm really passionate about. And from there, I just fell in love with the idea of community and have grown with it. Um, Mm. My advice for growing within a community is 
you have to like think proactively even when your company's not thinking proactively and mm. if you're lucky enough to get to work with a community that's brand new you have you know it's like i always say your community is like your baby right like you get to know it so well you're like this is its schedule this is what it eats this is when it naps like you know everything about it <laughs> and when right. you're that close to your community you really have the insight that your company needs to understand the value of your community and if you're able to communicate that to leadership and say, hey, these are the trends we're seeing, this is the feedback we're getting, this is what I think we need to do next. That's really what's opened so many doors for me, um, mm. as well as just networking internally and like never, you know, at first at least, now you have to be a little pickier, but when you're starting a community, if someone internally says, we wanna use the community, just mm. make it work. Like, don't say no, mm. find a way for them to find value in the community and like, spread yourself as deep into the rest of the org as you can. Mm, I love that. And when you say that you as a community moderator or manager being proactive than the team or the company, uh, what were some, some, these are the, these are the areas where you need to focus on, especially from, especially when you interact with the new community, like, you pick the signals like you mentioned, right? So what are some qualities or some sort of like a skill set that you have to develop to be in a position that you take the authority and say, hey, hey guys, this this is what we should do for sure that it'll work for XYZ reason. So how, how did you do that and what skill set that people should develop? It's a very good question. <laughs> I think, I mean, the two areas I think you kind of have to stay as close to as possible are your members and your content. So you need to like look at the trends of the content that's performing and you need to understand your members so very well. And so the theme or kind of the skill set that I think you can kind of put both of those under is that analytic skill set and being mm -hmm. able to not only identify trends, but tell stories from what you're seeing. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you notice that conversations are kind of leaning towards one area, pull the data or like manually get the data to kind of prove your point and then communicate mm. that to the business so that you're not just saying like, oh, we have a lot of conversations over here. You're able to explain to them like what, what that says about your product, what that says about your business. Mm. Um, so I would say storytelling and analytics are the two, mm. the two skills to really focus in on. Wow. That's awesome. I think it's kind of like a, like a two edge of a sword right like being very analytic which is like crunching the numbers mm -hmm. really being on the ground but also at the same time elevating that that numbers into a story which is more intangible and which is which will you know uh, lure people in like you have to believe in this belief right i think that's that's really key uh and how did you end up being like like an operations you know forefront like what how did that transition went because moderation is more of talking to people helping them you know if they have any doubts or even customer support like you know solving their issues to operations what, what was like the whole transition like yeah operations is something that i i think i really fell into um we were a very small team we still are like considering a pretty small team and you know, we needed someone to kind of learn like the back end of the software that we were that we're on to make sure that we're getting, you know, the most value from it that we can. Mm. And so it was really just out of necessity, 
in terms of, you know, updating users' roles and thinking about gamification and then Hmm. similarly thinking about the data and how we could connect our things together to better tell that story. We were such a small team. And again, I kind of proactively had these curiosities where I was the girl who, you know, be like Friday at 5.30 and I was like, well, let me like export this data into a Google sheet and like make the pie chart to show the story. Um, And I think I probably, you know, for better or worse, no one else was looking to do that. So that kind of just naturally led to me becoming the operations specialist. And again, you know, the community is my baby. And so then when folks were like, well, we want to do this and you do have to eventually when it comes to operations, kind of have a single point of contact. And so I trusted myself the most. And I think other people were just like, you know, we don't want to learn it. And (laughs) again, it's kind of like the more I did it, the more I was like, no, this is fun. I do enjoy this. So I kind of, for better or worse, signed myself up just with curiosity. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Uh, That's a funny story. So uh, what do you say in terms of just like, you know, for people who are looking to build a community, what kind of operation side they should manage? Like, because let me, let me tell you my story, right? I've always on the other side, which is more bringing people, hosting the events, like making conversations like this, bringing the best sort of people, you know, how can I create value driven content and make other people value driven content? I think those are all my community building strategies. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to operations, I'm like, straight away blank face right so for people like me who don't know the other side uh what should we also include in our you know in the buffet you know i think operations is kind of like a like a spicy you know ingredient right and how do how do people look after that and what are the measures people should take definitely so it's it can be hard to like define operations i find cuz it like can weave into other things but my main like mantra when it comes to operations is really anything you're doing in community whether it's like choosing a tech stack vendor whether it's setting up an automation whether mm. it's you know anything you're doing should be set up in a way that it can scale from doing it for one member to doing it for a thousand members and that's kind of like if you're doing that in your day-to-day you're doing operations correctly the two kind of like swim lanes that we split that into are thinking about all of like your customer operations and then like your product best practices like your product operations Hmm. so for customers making sure that you're thinking about your spam content you're thinking about how your content's organized um you know, you're thinking about like what the user experience is going to be and then setting it up in a way that scales. So if that means, you know, for members who need to change their email address, like for a long time, we just had a thread on our forum and it was like, if you need your email address change, pop, you know, let us know. And then we would Mm. like DM them and we'd be like, what's your email address? And then one day I was like, we need a form for this. Like, this is so basic, but we need to be able to scale this to accommodate folks. So things like that, just making sure that you're scaling those processes. And then Mm. on the product side, making sure that the members experience with your software for, you know, for us, we have software, but your member experience with your product is like top notch and that operations Mm. is making it even better. So you need to be the connection between the product team. You need to be the one who's, thinking through again proactively how can we make this better how can we 
surface feedback to the product team? And how can we ensure that if someone comes to us, you know, with a support question, for example, hmm. that we're not giving just one answer that's helping that person, but that the information and process we're setting up is going to scale to support the 2000 people who are going to read that post over the month. It's more about scaling more than anything, yeah. right? Like, you know, you apply one solution, but you think about uh, big numbers and you yeah. don't have to, you don't have to repeat yourself, you know, take automations as an example and whatnot. So I, I think, yeah, I think that's something I want to like focus on, you know, intentionally and to see like, you know, how we can manage certain things. I'm glad that with Threado we have, I have help. I have, uh, you know, my, my colleague like Supriya who actually works on the operation stuff. So yeah. I, <clears throat> I deal less on, on that front, but so going back to your picking the trends, picking the signals from the community, what were your signals that you you passed to the leadership team and said, hey, we have to do certain events or certain initiatives and certain trends that you you observed in your experience? What, what, what were those and how did they materialize into much bigger than what you thought? Yeah, I think the one that comes to mind first and foremost, was just when we launched our community, it was only in English. And pretty quickly after wow. we launched, we started to get a lot of conversations, primarily in Spanish. And we didn't have any sort of like system set. Our, our community wasn't structured in a way that could support that. Hmm. So we started planning for how to localize our community to ensure that we were providing a world-class experience to everyone, regardless of what language they spoke. And that resulted in us localizing our community, not only into Spanish, but kind of proactively localizing also into uh, four other languages. So that's the first one that comes to mind. Um, But then we've also had, I mean, one cool story, I think, is, you know, we we have a lot of top contributors that we weren't necessarily like, you know, when you first started community, you're like, oh, cool, like Phil shows up every day. That's so great. (laughs) Um, but we were able to launch our super user program and really like create a community for our top contributors. Mm. And, you know, that was really by pulling the stories of these folks and showing the impact that we, that they were having on the business because they were answering questions every day. Mm. And, you know, we now are able to celebrate them on a very regular basis. We have dedicated budget to get them swag. And Mm. it's something that, you know, the whole company really, you know, they're like HubSpot famous, basically. And when when they show up to our conference in person, people are like, where's Phil? Where's Karsten? I want to meet them. So the fact <laughs> that we've been able to elevate those people, um, right. it's also something that I'm very proud of. And if you want to do some things differently in, 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 in your experience of picking signals, what would what would you do? <sighs> ah, that's a good question. I think... I mean, information architecture, well, two, I'll say information architecture is one. I think we probably splintered our conversations more than we should have at the beginning, just because many of our our communities broken down by tool. And I think there was the desire to like have a board for every tool, but that really created splintered conversations, which just made it take longer for there to be a sense of community because instead of having, you know, 50 posts 
in one board per week, we were having like five in different areas. And it, mm. it just makes it feel quieter. People don't realize they're in a very active right. community because they're alone right. in this board. Um, so that would be one. And then the other one just lost the thought about what it was. Oh, archiving content as well. We mm -hmm. definitely like didn't read the signal right there. Um, I would manually like, again, like the little nerd that I am on Friday nights, be like, I'm going to go through and update our content. Mm -hmm. um, and I would archive outdated content, but it really wasn't until like two or three years into the community that we made the effort to like bulk archive content and get rid of some of the dead content and things that were out of date. So that would mm -hmm. be the other one is just kind of like proactively staying on top of that because you know, it's a disservice to your community. You don't want to have outdated information, but it's also just like weighing your community down. And when right. your community is generating new content every day, you don't need, you know, old content weighing you down and you want the fresh stuff to rise to the top. And how did you balance that? It's content is always such a tricky thing, right? Like some of the content can be evergreen, like, yeah. Uh, and some of the latest content can be very valuable and useful because it's really latest. So yeah how did you balance especially for people who are joining new they should also kind of look back and say wow seven ten years ago hubspot is speaking the same language yeah it's speaking right now i am so inspired and i'm like kind of motivated to do the same right you see yeah. what i'm saying i think yes. how did you find that balance when it comes to the content archiving yeah it's definitely, it's an interesting one, right? Because like our community launched in 2016. And to your point, you don't want to have it only have content from the past 12 months because people are like, oh, it's brand new. Right. So we took the mindset, we put a criteria in basically of having like a very low view count within the past, I think it was like three or six months to basically show like it's not getting high engagement. We also took out anything that was authored by a HubSpot employee because those are more likely to be that evergreen like resource type content. Um, and that was kind of like the first movement was just getting rid of things that had low engagement that was very old. From there, we did do, we kind of like exported a larger list of things that just were old by nature. And we mm. did do a manual bit of like going in to like actually read the content and make sure it was going to be good. Um, and then the other thing that we put in place that I would recommend for folks is we did, after we archived, we redirected everyone who tried to visit that page to a form where it said, like, if the, if you think the content that you're looking for is still valuable, let us know and we'll bring it back. Mm. Um, just to ensure right. that folks, one, still had a voice in it. But then again, from like a scalability perspective, making sure we weren't, you know, going to get like messages here, there and everywhere being like, what did you do with my post? So <laughs> we didn't get too many, surprisingly, or not surprisingly, I guess, but thankfully we didn't get too many people looking for archived content, but mm. it just felt good to make sure that, you know, we were giving them a voice in the process. And going back to the discussion boards, first of all, I think that's really smart that you close the loop. If someone mm -hmm. is really like approaching you for a content that's been posted and it's, it's better to like know personally, right? So that's smart. Going back to the discussion boards, right? You said one of the things you instead of focusing on one topic, and HubSpot has different types of, you know, uh, I would say buckets. Like mm -hmm. marketing hub is a different bucket, product is different. There are like inbound has its own bucket and whatnot. Yep. How did you? Uh, so going back to your fifty discussions, focusing on one bucket, 
and diversifying it what did you do in the initial days like when when it's brand new did you source the discussions or what was like your initial days look like when it comes to like bringing that content and engagement into into like you know as a, as a flywheel yeah so we definitely started by just like you know opening up the conversation to folks in the community and kind of saying like hey what do you think about this um we you know we're fortunate in the fact that pretty early on like we had an established group of folks who were talking about community in reddit and other places mm. and they kind of were like oh this is where the party is now we'll show up <laughs> so we we had a very small party for a while where we were talking to the same four or five people um right. but then you know we would we would post net new content we would promote it across our own social media we would again collect like this comes back to the idea of like networking with folks internally we would work with other teams to say can you put this in your newsletter can you you know share this with your customers um and just then again we would look at the data obsessive i would look at the data obsessively and see okay of the things that i'm posting what are people viewing okay that's what they want to talk about and then i would publish more things about that to ensure that i was giving them something that i knew they could talk about um and then from there it's you know once there's a couple people chatting people feel much more comfortable chatting and you just kind of watch like the lurkers and it's like okay santa claus one two three like i'm watching you i want you to start talking <laughs> and eventually they would so it was and right. some you know we'd also did i would do some some outreach to folks through dm and say you know i see that you're showing up pretty regularly we would love for you to join the conversation and make sure they understood kind of what the value was for them and what did you do for inactive members is there any strategy that really worked for you that you want to share um when you say inactive do you mean like converting them into active users or uh what i mean is yeah there are like different types of inactive members i i i really worry about people who showed up and mm -hmm. they participated in one or the other conversations and they were like completely cold after that yeah i i i, I treat that set more importantly than any other who joined yeah. and didn't show up and like you know become inactive that's fine but if people who showed some interest and kind of went cold how did you bring them back any yeah. strategy so i call those folks shooting stars because they're such a bright light and then they disappear <laughs> um, <laughs> and you know i have kind of like the three strikes you're out policy basically so we would you know I would start by just tagging them into a conversation and I would say, you know, hey, Santa Claus, one, two, three, I thought you might enjoy this. If they don't respond to that, it's usually like a DM within the community that's like, hey, you know, you were here, you're gone. Is there always asking for feedback? Like one, you know, mm. is there anything I can do to provide value for you? If your priorities have changed, like, let me know. Really just ensuring that like, you know, if we are quote unquote, like breaking up, I want to know why we're breaking up. Um, <laughs> And then yeah. it, typically it would be like maybe one more DM, but then just kind of letting them go and acknowledging, you know, I think we've all had the, I was, you know, you have your moment. I was on like, I still, sh I should be on Duolingo more than I am, but you mm -hmm. have your like minute where you're like, oh, I'm going to learn German for two weeks. And then, you know, you're like, no, I'm not, I'm going to learn Spanish or, you know, I'm going to take up jogging or whatever, like things happen to people. Yep. So I think acknowledging that, you know, not everyone's going to stick around forever doing what you can organically to kind of pull them back but if they don't want to come back then i don't 
really want them there because it means they're not there for the right reasons. It means they feel like they have to be there. And your best community contributors are the people who show up every day because they want to show up, not the people who are there because they feel like they have to be there. You seem to have such a warm composure. Like, you know, the 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 last 25 minutes, I felt so warm talking to you. I have to acknowledge that before we move on to the next you know topic or question. You have such a, you know, cool attitude towards things, right? Like the way you said about people, you know, shit happens in life. Every Everybody has their things going on. I think that level of uh, understanding and empathy towards people really be, make you like a great communicator. And I think that's why Ivan wants me to talk to you. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I love I love the way you're dropping those analogies like community is a party or communities you know if you're if you're not active like that means you're breaking up so it it should feel like that it shouldn't feel like a job that's what the point i want to make if it if it feels more of like a play that you're living instead of like a like a task then you know uh i i know people who treat community as a task and they eventually like you know end up not pursuing it because mm -hmm. It's so tiring, right? At the end of the day, we don't yeah. know what's going to happen uh, with these communities and the people, right? Mm -hmm. I love that. Just want to acknowledge. Uh, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. So going back to the super user program. So you pick those signals and kind of like you wanted to champion these people. Is there any playbook that you want to share with the listeners about how to build either championship program or super user program in their communities? Yeah, I think, you know, the we kind of found some like, I looked at, the, again, look at the data, I looked at the data and kind of identified like, what makes this top percent, even though it was a small community at that point, like what is different about this top group than the rest of the community. And for us at that point in time, it wasn't much, I think it was like, you had like five accepted solutions, and you had like a certain rank, which meant you had logged in X amount of times and that sort of thing. Um, but basically it was just kind of identifying like what's a long enough time that you're not gonna be a shooting star because I did have a few folks who I invited into the champions program and they were you know hot to trot for a month and then they were gone. So mm. we had to kind of adjust from there to make sure that we were only capturing people who had already built the habit of coming to the community. Mm. Um, and so that typically for us, I think it's about I think it's still about like three months. Like you have to show up consistently for three months. Now the number of solutions has gone up. You have to be like a solid contributor. Um, and then from there, we have guidelines that we share with them. It, exactly what you said, like we're like, this should feel like no additional work to you. This is not a job. Like we don't mm. pay these folks. So really the value of the program is ensuring that one, we're listening to their feedback First and foremost, we're giving them, you know, some delight, some swag, whatever we can to make sure they feel appreciated. Um, and then just cultivating like a real close sense of community with these folks. So we have guidelines, we have a private community for them. We have events for them that we host on a quarterly basis at the moment. Um, and yeah, you kind of program it like it's its own little community. It's more fun, I think, because like, your RSVP and attendance rates are going to be higher for those events because these are the people who want to show up and do, you know, they want to be there. Um, and you also do get to kind of, you know, treat them like VIPs. I always say to these, like when, I, when I'm teaching, when I'm onboarding new members to my team, 
when it comes to community champions, we I say you, you should be like their genie. Like you should, they should be able to bring anything to you and you should take care of it, whether it's product feedback, whether it's getting them access to leadership, like you really just have to make it feel like you are like their concierge. And, you know, that's one of the funnest parts of the job is, is making sure people feel appreciated and, you know, kind of feeling like you have the power to like make anything happen in HubSpot, which I definitely don't. But <laughs> if you're able to make them feel that way, that's, that's fun. Awesome. Uh, so for people who struggle to find those champions, what advice do you give? Like for community builders, right? Like it's, it's you are very lucky enough. I, I, I'm sure HubSpot has this bigger impact on people. And that's why, like, you know, like you said, Reddit, people who are in Reddit, they moved from Reddit to HubSpot to like, you know, chat with others. But just in general, like, you know, how do you cultivate that culture in the community? Yeah, I think, you know, even if you don't have, like, people will talk about anything these days. So whether you have a community for folks or not, if you have a business of some sort, people are talking about your business somewhere. So the first thing I'd recommend doing is just social listening, you know, follow hashtags on LinkedIn, on Twitter, and find the people who are like speaking out about your brand. If you haven't launched your community yet, meet with those people before you even launch your community, because those are the people you want to bring into your ecosystem and have them be your top contributors once you do launch, or even like you even want them to be your beta testers before you properly launch your community. So social listening first, once you launch, give them the microphone as much as possible and get out of their way. That's, I was just talking about that yesterday in a meeting where I was like, the more you can just get out of people's way and let them talk about their stuff, the happier they're going to be. Um, so empowering them, letting them host AMAs, making sure they know you want them to talk, right? A lot of these people are like the quiet kid in the back of the classroom and you have to like say to them, I want you to speak. And once you give them, you know, once you kind of like say you can do it and empower them, they will do it. Um, and then once you have those folks, look at the lurkers because the people who are showing up are the people who you can convert into those top contributors. Again, it's just going to take a little time to figure out like, what do they want from the community? Why are they there? Get on a Zoom with them for 15 minutes and say, you know, I see you've logged in a couple times, you've given a couple upvotes. What can I do to help you find more value in this space? Get that feedback. Um, I think that's part of it too, is getting feedback from like the very vocal group, but also the very quiet group of lurkers. Mm -hmm. And just nurture those relationships. You kind of have to put your like CSM hat on and really act as though you're the CSM for the community to make sure that, you know, these folks find value in it, want to show up and eventually want to want to contribute, give back and be be super users. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty powerful and effective. Let's switch gears a little bit. And I think we've, we've talked about super users, you know, community fundamentals and the way you have to think and the attitude and whatnot. I want to also cover uh, in this conversation about your expertise in expanding a community globally, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, what's your global strategy for HubSpot? And what do you kind of like, you know, if you were to pass some lessons to listeners, if they're trying to expand as well, what are some things that you would say? Well, it's definitely an ongoing strategy. Evan and I were just <laughs> talking about this today. So this is my like fresh thoughts on it. <laughs> yeah, 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 I love that. Um, but 
Yeah, I think, you know, when it comes to launching a global community, the first thing you have to realize is like community means something different in every region. Mm. We were one of like the best fortunes we've had at HubSpot. And the best thing that's happened to our team is the fact that we have a community manager for each language that we have a community in. And they are all native speakers to that, to their community. So we have a German speaker who manages our German community, a Japanese speaker who manages our Japanese community. And the cultural insights that you get from having someone in that position are unmatched because community in Japan and Germany are very different than community in America. And like, you can't go in it with the same mindset. Um, I think the best way to describe that is the fact that like for a few months after we, we launched our French and German communities at the same time, we didn't have budget to get community managers. So I, mm. and I just told you my Duolingo where I wanted to learn German for two weeks. <laughs> I who know no French and German was the community manager for those communities. Wow. And they were not thriving right away because I don't speak those languages. So you do need someone who can kind of like host the conversations. Um, my advice though, with all that said, the thing that kind of got us through that period is just aligning with the regional team. I will say at least at HubSpot, our regional teams, when we told them that, you know, we were going to launch these communities in their languages, it was like Christmas morning. They were so excited. They're like, <laughs> we're getting a community. Like so often regional spaces are just not prioritized. And so mm. if you can stand it up for them, they will support you. So we had volunteers from our support team. We had volunteers from our success org, from the marketing team who all came together um, to really like help launch these places. And the playbook that we put in place was, you know, we like, had a human translate the content that had performed well on the English community. Because again, you know, even in today's world of like AI and chat GPT, like it's not the same as having a human do it. And we wanted to make yeah. sure that we were very like human first. So we had humans translate some content and then we got, I created a prompt calendar in English and mm -hmm. I had folks who would either publish it directly, or if they didn't have the bandwidth, they would translate it and I would publish it. Um, and then when people started to show up to the community, I was getting snippets from folks saying, welcome to the German community. We're happy to have you here. Why are you here? You know, getting the feedback. And that's when you kind of realize when you talk to folks, like the reason that they're in the community, their relationship with a community manager and what they want from a community are all very different from English. So mm. or like the North Am and UKI community. So the sooner you can get close to that cohort of users too, the stronger you're going to build a community for that region. I love that. I'm. <laughs> it's so funny that if your two week uh, Duolingo, you know, course helped that way. Yeah. <laughs> Surprisingly, I didn't have to say. I learned how to say like, "I am a woman" and like bread and water, and those phrases never came oh, up in the community, God. unfortunately. But <laughs> I'm ready for a trip to Munich. <laughs> I love that. I think, you know, every every community manager does a lot, like, you know, more than mm -hmm. more than what expert expected. Yeah. Uh, so one quick check on the on the community becoming global, right? Like, mm -hmm. is there like a cutoff or is there like a specific signal that you should get that 
that motivates to to go global because it's a lot of work right you have to manage these teams these committee managers you have to give them direction guidelines and you know you have to have to have like a healthy community that grows in their region yeah. so it's a lot of work so you're signing up for i think 10x work than yeah. your usual general community so what what is that cut off that okay i'm ready or we are ready as a company to go global it's a very good question i think you definitely need an amount of posts that warrant its own space again you don't want someone you know if you're launching a spanish community and you're getting two spanish posts a day that's a disservice to the spanish members because then it's just a couple people talking to each other um so you need like a full of at least, well, I shouldn't even say a full, you need a sizable amount of posts in that community. So, mm -hmm. you know, for me, like anything under like 10 posts a week is probably, you probably don't need that community because you're just going to be isolating those folks. Mm -hmm. um, the reason that we were so, you know, kind of proactive about it though, is just because we wanted to ensure we had our knowledge base in certain languages and we wanted to ensure that we were providing like the same experience within our community so that folks could talk to one another. Um, and so, you know, I think Spanish, it was definitely like, we kind of were proactive in Spanish and then we launched the other ones because to your point, it's a lot of work. And from the technical side, it was easier to do it kind of like all in one push as opposed to doing it, you know, one this year to the following year, like we wanted to do it kind of all, all at once. Mm. Um, but yeah, when it starts to become a disruption and kind of causing confusion within your main community and the posts start to scramble together, that's when I'd say you should start to think about it because, you know, you never want to provide a subpar experience to any of your members. And if the different languages are just like kind of causing confusion or folks are responding, you know, in English to a Spanish post and the person's responding back in Spanish and it's like, oh, they're not getting help that's when it's probably mm. time to think about how you can best serve your customers and your members. Got it. Yeah, definitely like a, like a good, I think it's, it should be sizable in a way that yeah. you're, you're, you, you can't really manage, but you can also like, you know, think about having a helping hand to manage yeah. that, you know, set of people. So I think that that should be like a, like a thing. Uh, so you said, HubSpot launched the community in 2016. So it's been close to like seven years, right? Yep. What are some values that you added from, from the beginning, like from the inception to like, you know, now? So there are some things that you believe in, which I, which fundamentally everybody knows, but what did, what are you amended to those set of values? Oh, goodness. Um, I mean, the one that's top of mind these days is definitely like, connecting humans and making sure that, you know, AI doesn't take over the community and really <laughs> keeping the human at the center of it all. So I'll start with that because it's very top of mind. Um, I think really like lifting up our members probably is not something that we started with. You know, our mission statement when we launched mm -hmm. was to help people connect and grow and learn. Um, and I would say more so now than ever, it's not only do we want them to connect and grow, but we want to give them the microphone and, and again, get out of their way. We, we want to elevate them, whether that's their personal brand, whether that's their business, like the community should be serving them far more than it's serving us. 
Um, and we've had the opportunity to really elevate a lot of folks, which has been really good to see. Um, and then, you know, I think the other thing that's that we've kind of encompassed is really expanding the community from a space that's just about HubSpot to a space that's for professionals and really creating an ecosystem of communities where there's space for you to ask your product questions. There always will be, but there's also space for folks who just want to talk about, you know, best practices in sales, mm. or, you know, they have questions about SEO. There's space mm. for them as well. Um, and I think the mindset there, again, is kind of shifted away from like, how is this serving HubSpot to how is this serving our members and acknowledging that while these folks may or may not use HubSpot, they are professionals and they are people beyond our website and our tools and right. ensuring that we're we're connecting those folks as well. I love that. I think so the personal intention of uh, at least like company's intention moved from company to like, since it's a big community, how am I actually serving the people? Like instead yeah. of questioning how the people are serving us, you know, as, as a company, right? I love that. Yes. Uh, that's something I think, you know, a lot of B2B companies should think about, especially when they're building communities. Uh, in your experience, the seven years, HubSpot grew from, like, I think, like you said, small community, like to this big of a size. So what are some some lowlights that you want to highlight? You know, that, my God, it was so tough during this period for whatever reason it is. Oh, there's so many. No, <laughs> only <laughs> um, Oh gosh. I mean, I am very much someone who like, I do try to find like a silver lining and everything. And I think you've learned a lot from every season. Mm -hmm. um, with that said, I think, you know, it, launching a community is not easy. And I think it is, I've kind of, it was so long ago that I think I have pushed it back in my brain, but Launching the English community and getting people to show up is, it's a lot, it's tiring. Mm -hmm. And the most common thing that I talk to, even like, you know, people will launch a little, a new group within our community and they'll say, no one's here, no one's showing up. Mm. And it's like, you have to like push through the awkward moment of talking to yourself until people feel comfortable talking to one another. Um, mm. That's definitely one. I think similarly, you know, we have launched community spaces where, there wasn't a market fit for that type of community. Um, and that's something I've definitely learned along the way is that, while I do believe there is a community for everyone. It doesn't mean that the same type of community works for anyone and mm. acknowledging that some folks want events, some folks want forums, some folks want one-on-one -on -one messaging and kind of figuring out what the right ingredients are to make a community for a specific persona hmm. is tiring. Like that, that is work. <laughs> um, so that's, that's another one is just, you know, the failures that turn into learnings, but in the moment they just feel like failures where it's like, well, I put on a webinar for this group of people or I launched a group for them and no one's, no one showed up. And those are definitely <laughs> not, not highlights. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I feel like, I think without lowlights, you know, the highlights won't get that big of a, right. like a value, right? Like it's, it's the lows that, that help you define the highs. Uh, Definitely. but yeah, it's quite, quite common and I'm so glad that you, you stick to it. Like that's really important, you know, even though yeah. some things don't work, you know, you just keep going. Uh, 
That's right. So one last question before we wrap up. Uh, it's, it's primarily like for people who want to make a career out of community space. You know, they're just getting started. Since you started really small and you, you know, are climbing that ladder in a consistent way with one single company, what advice do you want to give to people who do who want to do the same? Like, Yeah, it's a wonderful question. Um, if you are lucky enough to be starting in a company in, you know, a position of a community moderator, community manager even, and you want to grow on their community team, make sure it's a company that believes in community first and foremost. Make sure that the metrics that are tied to you are tied to the broader business because if you're you know, kind of like a branch of the company, but you're not in the trunk of it, you're not in the heart of it, it's going to be a lot harder for you to grow. So that's the first thing. It's just the fact that HubSpot believes in community. And mm, if it was a yeah. different company, I wouldn't be able to grow because they'd be like, well, you're doing your thing. It's working. It's fine. Yeah. But they've invested in community. And that is the reason that they've, you know, invested in me. Um, beyond that, I would say, harness your community management skills, be proactive, be vocal, um, and know what you want to do next. This is, again, a conversation that I'm having this week with a lot of people where I think in community, because there's not necessarily a career path that's really mapped out, people can kind of like wait and sit back and be like, well, I wonder what's next. Like, I don't know. Um, And if you're able to define it, that makes it a lot easier for your company to know what to do with you. If you say, Hey, I think that you need a manager of community strategy and operations. And guess what? I'm your girl. It's a lot easier than, you know, waiting around and saying like, well, I'm a community manager and I hope to become a senior community manager. But if you're not telling them what you're doing and why you should do that and what that looks like, it can be hard for them to know. So, you know, if the career path doesn't exist, build it for yourself, advocate for yourself. Um, And again, just network internally and make yourself as valuable to as many people as possible. Because when people start saying your names in other rooms that you're not in, that's when you know, like, okay, I've had an impact and and I truly am needed at this company. I love that. I think you just summarized the most important quality of a community builder, which is we all are action takers, right? Like, you know, if Mm -hmm. we sit back, I think community is not you know, a job you should take because yep. you should be really proactive. Take chances, shoot your shot. Sometimes yep. it'll it'll work, sometimes it won't. And I think you keep on like shooting the shots and I think that's how you make a career out of it. But uh, yo, this is super inspiring, Jenny. I, I'm so glad that I, you know, I was introduced to you by Ivan. Shout out to him. We, we kind of like unpacked a lot of details from an operational standpoint and how to like really make a career. So thank you so much. Any closing thoughts before we wrap up? No, thank you for having me. And if anyone wants to connect, find me on LinkedIn. I'm happy to chat about anything, community, Duolingo, my two weeks of German, whatever it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Yeah, we'll, we'll make you people DM you like about German. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe I will finally learn German. <laughs> you need that push yeah Uh, but yeah thanks thanks folks for tuning in really appreciate your attention and we have some great guests like jenny in the pipeline so stay tuned for more episodes that come in in the future uh but you know thanks for tuning in for this episode take care and cheers